Hello. So how does everyone sound to the audience? Because we're just kind of throwing this together last minute. I mean, while we're just fucking around and doing sound checks live. <laughs> I want to hear from the audience. We're, we're doing independent. Audience. This is the first LUQ&A we have done with a live audience, and I'm very excited it about it. That's oh, true. Oh, shit. I don't think we've done any LUQ streamy stuff. It's only ever been like D20 questions or except for like promotional shit. This is the first LUQ&A I've been here for. That's true, too. But I have been on a D20 questions. At some point, we're definitely going to do a, a luck live show. It's, it's got to happen. Yes. Fuck yeah. Yes, Fuck please. Yeah. Anyway, it's really awesome to see some people coming in. That's fantastic. Welcome to LUQ&A Battle Ask Us 2. God fucking damn it. <laughs> it's awful. I love that name. I even spelt it in the um, the Twitch info. It's T-O-O. <laughs> Oh, you did. <laughs> Beautiful. Battle Ask Us too. I love that. I love that. Hello, Enter and Guillotine and Hiru Dagon and Wolf. Mm. Bree, hello. Hi, hello, 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 hello. Sidonis, Steinhammer, uh, Sting Theory, Wolf. A lot of people. Woo. Hiru Dragon, Lucky Enter. Gio. Fuck yes. Fuck. Way more than I expected for a uh, 10 a.m. recording on a Friday. <laughs> with with right. less than 24-hour heads up to the fans. and be like, hey, we're kind of doing right. this thing, like, super last minute. Y'all motherfuckers are cool as hell. We didn't even include it in the actual, like, mid-roll or anything. It's just like, hey, Discord, come on down. I Yeah, I didn't even know for sure if it was happening. So, yeah, here we are. So we're going to just answer some questions about tabletop roleplay and specifically LUQ stuff from season two. Fuck yeah. And whatever else sneaks in to fill content, because that's what we need. Fuck yeah. Yeah. We got some uh, some questions, but not enough to fill the whole void. I was about to say, like, we, we are in a very fortunate position, though, though we don't have a lot of questions. This is the first time we've done it live, and we have a live audience yes. to keep giving us questions. Well... I shall jump on the question train then, I guess, which is not something I was prepared to do. So be prepared for it to be very awkward. None of us have prepared for anything. So tragically, because Angelo is not here, we will not be able to address his things. However, if it's a question that I think I can answer based off of what I'm seeing, I will do my best. So I'm going to go ahead and start with a question from Wolf of the Borderline from our Discord for Dana. Danny, you're a talented writer and have had to grapple with new ideas while playing the first plural on the LUQ team. Have you found inspiration in your experience playing pen uh, that have influenced your other work or led you to approach ideas from a new angle? That's yeah. an awesome question. It's a great question. Um, not necessarily from pen in particular, but as a writer, I am very used to compartmentalizing because uh, everyone that I develop content for, whether it's Slapdash or Paizo, <coughs> um, they own the content that I develop. So I don't. I'm very conscientious about um, taking inspiration from other places and separating them. But I do get a lot of ideas from all the different things I work on and all the media that I consume. Like, one that comes to mind is when we were in Kinuent doing the uh, the Fae Fair. Yeah. I was simultaneously writing a Fae Fair for something else. So I uh, that's why I didn't really dive into that one <laughs> quite as hard. Hell yeah. That's absolutely fair. That's absolutely fair. Fae Fair. Yeah. So I'm going to try something a little weird here. Uh, when I ask a question of one of you from the audience, I want you to ask a question of the rest of us here in return. Yeah, I love so, it. Dana, do you have a question for anybody here at the table? Yeah, um, I definitely do. Spin that inquiry bottle. <laughs> 
I said definitely do, um, and that was a lie. <laughs> awesome. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, th- I'll think of one. At least it's just a recording and not live or anything. Yes, totally. Right. right. <laughs> All right, cool. We'll, we'll skip ahead. We'll skip ahead. Uh, okay, Law. Yeah. How much of the mythos of the Withering Acre did you conceptualize before starting Battle Axes versus how much have you developed during the storyline? It's hard to like pin a number on it. In fact, I would say I was like more clear an image in my imagination probably like before we started um, because I have to invest a lot of, you know, I get to invest a lot of what the character's motivation and thoughts are into the current world. But it almost works because like the further he moves away from there, the harder it is to remember certain details and things like that. But let's just say I put a lot of thought into the whole concept of religion based on an experience instead of based on a pantheon, but it's also like a reflection of what could be a pantheon. So it's like, that was where most of my thought went and then the flavor of it. But uh, I like in, in the actual podcast, I feel like the, the story that's getting built on there that was fresh and new that I would never have anticipated is more of the, the dream walking aspects, mm. navigating to get there through once again, maybe finding it in sleep instead of it just being a place to normally access something kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't hurt that like literally from the outset, the moment you even told me the vague idea of the character, I was like, Oh God, this works so well in my world. <gasps> and I just had to start doing as much as I could. With I love it. it when that happens. I do have a question. Oh shit. On that note, Zachary, you you have these spokes that already like named and defined, and we just went through Kinuent. My my question is how much of those are pre-written and how much, say for Kinuent, did you write like when we got there? So I tend to do everything in RAR files in my head. <laughs> I create I create compressed zips that I just like store in the recesses of my mind. I'll have an idea which has like little nuggets that once I tap on them, they explode. So I try not to tap on anything over much because I don't want it to solidify yet. So when I first started working on the idea, I knew I wanted the spokes. I actually talked to Law a lot and got some ideas from him that definitely inspired me down other paths. And I knew I knew the general like theme for every single spoke. But I'm, I write the way I write is very not dissimilar from Stephen King, an excavator. So it's like I'm really uncovering the story, not so much as creating it myself. And it just kind of has a life of its own. Mm-hmm. So when I got to Kinuin, I was like, all right, time to start writing down the stuff I wanted. It immediately came to me because I was really excited about it and I wanted to do it from the beginning. And so the moment I started tapping those information nodes, they just burst and spewed their delicious creative juice all over me. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Um, we also have one from Steinhammer. I know we're going to be leaning on these great wolf questions throughout the stream probably, so I'll space them out a little bit. Um, but this one is a live in chat one. And uh, Steinhammer says, where do you all get your inspiration when DMing? Do you write things down when you think of it? Or, and they're not sure if that's been asked before. So, because we're all DMs. I, <laughs> I had the incredible privilege of speaking at New York City Comic Con last October. And we were asked a very, very similar question. And my very good friend, Joanna Liu from Cartographer, collected a bunch of information about different DMs and different DMing styles and things like that. And she had a list of what she labeled other people's styles as, and she finally got to me at the bottom of the list. And she was like, and then there's Max, who I describe as a sticky note DM. It's mostly improv. He writes one sentence on a sticky note and just fucking goes for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is (laughs) totally, totally accurate. But, like, inspiration-wise, I pull a lot from... 
a lot of video games that I really love that I see explore certain concepts and I want to take it in my own direction and have my own experience with it. And one that I, I have been inspired by a lot that helped shape my approach to like action and consequence stories. So like D&D was uh, Dragon Age. Hmm. That one hit me real hard. The first one and the third one. Uh, the second one certainly exists, doesn't it? <laughs> we are now a video game review podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. I um, Before I was a writer... Before I was like a professional DM, very much that way. In in at university, I was known for like just writing all my notes on bar napkins and then yeah. improvising. When I started doing Oryx, I started writing things down just more so that the the quality was more consistent. Mm -hmm. But the way that I tend to do it is to focus on locations and descriptions of places, and I th I think that's very indicative of my style, which is very exploration heavy. That that's nail on the head for what I was kind of going to say. Each that's one of the nice things about running for like LUQ is like each session we sit down in is so episodic. It's a new chapter, and you'll notice if you listen to season one that each chapter, unless it's an ongoing thing, tends to be a vastly different setting. Like they jump around to different corners of the world where it's like the flavor is completely changed for the the context of the situation, and that's based on like I don't know what I've been into lately. Like there are specifically like two or three cartoons I could say was like really inspiring my storytelling pacing and vibe for like Undermile that we've been doing recently. And because uh, it was just on my mind. So it's all the flavor of the individual setting. I don't think I would run the same kind of game forever. But I'll be like, ooh, let's do a desert thing. And what can I make that different about? And how's that inspiring me with this music and whatnot? For me personally, as far as inspiration, uh, I've realized that uh, creativity and inspiration is a depletable resource for me. So as soon as I start having ideas, as soon as I start getting excited about something, I know I've got a clock on it. So right now, I'm really into Western shit. I'm rebuilding a Western game that I ran a long time ago, and I'm starting it from scratch. And so I'm big horny for major Western stuff. And so what I'll do is I will just consume everything related to that because I don't create so much. I don't, I don't, I don't create stories so much as I create tones. I like tones. You'll notice that Battle Axis, the whole season so far, has a very trackable tone. And then like a chapter will have a tone. And then often those chapters will lead to a boss fight that matches those tones. And that's kind of just the way I do everything. And so I'll like slowly start to drift away from one thing and into another thing. And by the time like by the time I'm completely in the new subject, the transition will have been so smooth you won't even realize it. Like I might I might start moving from from cowboy crap into pirate stuff and I won't even realize it's happened. Absolutely. That's interesting. I have a question here from Enter on the Discord. That says, this is a two-part question for Zach and Dana. With regards to the lore behind plurals and singulars, this is a very deep and intriguing concept. What was the inspiration for this? Well, the inspiration for plurality comes from the idea that in any time there's a multiverse, especially when, like, if, let's say, you're creating a world where Eberron exists simultaneously as, say, Forgotten Realms, you know, or something like that, you're kind of going to deal with some overlapping concepts. And you'll notice that, like, every player who, like, runs a D&D game They'll reference things like, oh, the nine hells, or they'll talk about like Elysium, or they'll talk about whatever. And the idea there is that in the end, concepts, ideas are what matters, that it, almost like everything we think of becomes a thought form in the universe. And things tend to travel down well-worn paths, like water that slowly erodes a canyon. We just eventually, over time, make 
things true and we make them static and we make them uh, uh, unavoidable. And so the ideas like evil or good create these deep, deep, deep canyons, but they all have offshooting, you know, or rather uh, tributaries that lead to them. And so in my mind, anytime you're dealing with multiverses, you're going to have recurring themes. But then you'll have individuals who are totally unique, who don't show up in any other universes. And no matter what happens, if they die, they're done. And that to me really matters a lot, especially for stories like Penn, who is tied to something far greater than herself and having to deal with the consequences of do you have free will is a big question. And what does free will mean in the face of the vast uh, gravitational pulls of the alignments and the ideas in the universe? Yeah. And um, I just want to quickly add before the next part of this question, I think that Zach's take on it is really interesting because in, in a lot of media with multiverses, the, you know, having the same person exist in every universe is the, usually the, the rule and not the exception. And I think it's, it's uh, a fascinating opposite to uh, some of that media to, to say that the exceptional person is not the one that is unique and like the only one in all universes, but is the one that does exist in all universes. Um, especially how, how, different, you know, they can really be then instead of just like very similar things. And going back to the earlier question that I was asked by Wolf, the concept of plurality, I've gotten so deep in it that that has affected, now that I think about it, one way that I write settings, uh, specifically for, for D&D settings. And, and that also ties into kind of Fizban's dragon book, where it said that some dragons exist, you know, simultaneously in multiple planes. And so I've, I've applied that to, you know, more than just big dragons, but also uh, like when I start a new D&D setting, uh, there are certain milestones where I just think, okay, what is this setting's Tarasque? Because every setting needs one Tarasque yep. and things like that. <laughs> That's just like, it's a fun world building question. I see it a lot in tabletop yeah. RPGs too, especially ones that kind of like, there's like five major settings in D&D, you know, you got like your Faerun, your Planescape kind of stuff. And each one has like, the big magic city and each one has like the elven forest kingdom. And I like to think they're also like shadows of each other across the multiverse, you know? Yeah. And, and part of the big thing there is that it is ideas. So if an idea of a dragon, like if a dragon's powerful enough, everybody knows about them and it creates the groove so much more completely than say evil, which can be more abstract and subjective in a space. So the idea that like, you know, a dragon just shows up in another universe and they're like, Hey, I wasn't here originally. <laughs> what am I doing here? What was part two of that question? Oh, yeah, there is a part two. How much agency do the players have with regards to the working of the plurals, like the transformation of Penny to Pinnacles? I'll take this one. Uh, Zach does have very specific ideas about how plurals work in his world. And, um, and I've been corrected a couple of times on some of my misconceptions. So that is, that is very much up to Zach. I don't have any control over the, the concept. But at the level of the character, that, that's a, an ongoing conversation. And to, to let you a little bit behind the scenes, in one way or another, a scene very similar to the one that happened was always going to happen because that was Penny's version of the uh, potentializer. But there was definitely an early version of that where the thought was just, you know, Penny was going to be healed. She was going to absorb Arsenicos or not. And just like have the opportunity to tweak a few abilities, much like the potentializer. And then I, I proposed a rather drastic overhaul of Penny 
based on the direction that she had been going and how she had differed from um, how I thought she would be when I created her. And so Zach was the one that, that came up with the initial just idea, hey, do you want to make a brand new character? And as we talked through that and what that would look like, I realized that that was such a powerful story that it was very hard to let go of of that version of Penny, but I, I knew it would make a really compelling narrative. So we we decided to move forward with that. In a lot of games, you get the situation where DM wants to like kind of control everything, and uh, I like to have input. But in the end, when it comes to big character changes, I like to pitch them to the players because like I could just drop it on them like a hot bowl of soup, or I could be like, "Hey, I've got a plan," and I'll kind of circumlocute and talk around what I'm thinking of doing. And say, how does that feel to you? And if they're against it or if they have a problem with it and they give me that feedback, I'm going to go, okay, well, let's figure something else out instead and kind of tone down the things that you're uncomfortable with or whatever. But uh, in the end, I definitely want to make sure that these big character shifts, especially as they relate to the story, have the players' like interests and desires in mind. Yeah, and um, just to... I, 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 everyone knows that I like to mention when we talk about safety things, just because it's good practice and I like to lead by example. There was also a conversation about what that change meant for Penn's gender and uh, my various comfort levels with that. And we, it was a very like frank conversation about what we wanted to do and, and what we were willing to do. And it was very healthy. I pretty early on started, like, I, I had all these ideas and I was coming up with these concepts. I'm like, here's what I'm going to pitch to them. And then I was like, oh, crap. I realize this might be treading into territory that I have no business treading into. <laughs> like, I don't want to fuck around with anything here. I don't have a space here. So, like, yeah. Never the bad time to have a conversation with your players or your DM about that kind of stuff. I always think that's the healthiest thing to bring to a table. Being clear with your players, big good idea. Since we have a very special Max here, and that's our first thing for LUQ, I want to ask Max what your mm. ideas leading up to the creation of Wuxia were, and also just kind of your personal experience working with, you know, doing stuff with LUQ now after such a prodigious D&D lifetime. Sure. Oh, man. Inspirations behind Wuxia. I always, I, I've always enjoyed, like, big chunky tank classes i think they're a ton of fun so the idea to the the opportunity to go and play a large damp boy was really hard to resist i know i know you guys would have been happy with at almost any class almost any whatever like build showing up but i thought i'd lean into my strengths and play uh, uh chunky hit points a lot as far as why i chose what i chose the direction i went I had seen two friends at that point in time play Goliath Strength Rangers, and they looked like so much fun every single time they ran around and lifted big... Because, you know, you think Ranger, you think the bows and the swords, you think the whatever. It's such a fun counter to the traditional approach to it that it's it's impossible to resist for me. I also had a had a Goliath Strength Ranger just to show how yeah. what a tempting archetype that can be in 5e. It's so much fun, and for those who haven't tried it out, it requires some pretty specific build choices, but once you do it, boy howdy, is it fun. I'll say uh, Max originally had a few other ideas that we're not going to mention here, just in case we want to use them in the future, <laughs> but uh, there, was, there were some doozies in there, and it was really, it was a close one between two characters. It was, uh, yeah. And, and then uh, Wusha ended up being the one that we went with, but uh, yeah, yeah. 
Good ideas there. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Wolf in the chat says, there are two types of rangers, Aragorn impersonators and Busha. <laughs> yeah! God, brings me deep joy. <laughs> I also had been looking at the Tasha, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything new fighting styles, and the throwing weapon fighting style seemed fucking ridiculous, and I had no idea... What did kind of character one? would take that? Yeah, that's a hundred percent Wuxia. That's awesome. I I did that. <laughs> I, I have a I have a rogue that did that. That was all throwing knives. It's so fun. Hell yeah! It's so <laughs> wild. It's so wild. But I I until this point had never heard of anybody else taking it because <laughs> it's such like a a weird direction to go with a character. Uh, and I feel like throwing weapons get just shat on and forgotten about throughout the course of D anD. d so I'm here to toss sticks and make problems, man. Hey, ever since they start letting you use strength to throw things, it's increased yeah. the viability of big tanks throwing stuff. Yeah. I also, <laughs> the voice and personality are definitely based on people that I am related to that I didn't learn about until like way later in my life. It turns out a lot of my family is from uh, Somerset in England. And I traveled there for reasons a few years ago and met my dad's cousin. I don't know how the fuck I would track how that's related to me. Dad cousin, who spoke exactly like Wuxia speaks. And I, I couldn't not tap that resource. I couldn't not tap my dad's cousin uh, <laughs> and make something big and goofy out of it. And Absolutely. I, I've been fucking loving it. I also have been really into, even though Wuxia is not a pirate, I've been big into pirate stuff recently, so that may have helped. It all tracks. Quick follow-up with Cirque, because it's topical to the actual question, was a, did you discuss with the other players um, what character Max would play, or was it just Zach and Max? It was a, it was a round table. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I oh, think yeah. Uh, at first it was me and Max, but then once Max had some solid ideas, then we brought it to the table because... Ultimately, it was going to be somebody who was going to be filling in for Michael, and we knew that that we needed to find something that simultaneously did something Michael didn't do, so that everybody could feel like it was a u- new, unique, exciting character, but also something that filled the role well. Because if you just suddenly take a paladin out of a fight, yeah. then that's that's a big shift. Yeah, and and just thinking about also how our characters will interact with these different potential characters, like how how much there is to work with there. And if it's any consolation to anybody listening or anybody here in the stream, neither of the, uh, neither, none of the other characters I proposed to you guys were paladins. I avoided that on purpose because I didn't want to step on my boy Michael's toes. Mm -hmm. Very very true. Can't believe he's not a pirate. (laughs) He's never been a pirate. He's not that kind of guy. Did you say, I can't believe it's not pirate? (laughs) Since I, like I mean, I haven't see edging the most. Yes, I haven't heard from Izzy in so long. Izzy's a one of our mods on the Discord and beloved by all. So I'm just going to read an Izzy question real quick because it excited me when yeah. they showed up in chat. Uh, so DM wise, how do you guys start from a blank slate or a, cam- a blank canvas state? Uh, what's your favorite spark to light your campaign fires? Mm. You start this one, Law. We've all taken a very f- strong point. Well, there's two schools of thought, I think. There's one, which is the I'm going to run a campaign mindset, in which you're saying I need to very specifically pick my players. I need to know what my beginning, middle, and end of this quest is, how long it's going to last. Is this going to be 
30 games? Is this going to just be a year, no matter how much we get done? Or am I running a story? Am I running like a six-part adventure, a one-shot, a specific module? So those are two different, very different approaches. Because if you're doing campaign, you'd be like, well, I'm just going to use a pre-built world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust out Eberron, and we're going to do that. Or the long, long process of fleshing out your own world. And then you can be like, okay, well, I'm running a campaign, but the point of this campaign is to build this world. I have a map, and I'm going to put players in it, and they're going to walk around and remove the fog of war of imagination and unlock what this world really is. I like that, <laughs> removing the fog of war. Or there's just the one setting thing where it's to be like, okay, this is all taking place in this one place. I'm going to really flesh this out, and no one can leave. <laughs> this is Silent Hill, <laughs> because this is where all of the imagination lives. <laughs> all of the guards at the watched stations are too thirsty and won't let you pass <laughs> you can't you can't get out of there <laughs> deep pokemon cut <laughs> but yeah those are the two things and then like for the short one it's like yeah what do you want to consume are you gonna like have you been watching a lot of avatar the last airbender cool mages run everything and there's different schools of elemental magic uh are you running a bunch of animals in a farm better watch secret of nim 10 times <laughs> <laughs> so the I always start with the setting because I don't use other people's settings all my settings tend to be original and so I, I start there and that kind of informs what's in the world what the, the struggles of the world are like, like for example depending on the makeup of your world if it's Game of Thrones is it you know a person versus like other people or if it's um, like like my games tend to be more person versus environment. Without waxing eloquently about my settings for a long time, I think that's pretty much what I can say. But I usually start there, and then when I'm crafting a campaign, because because laws right on. When I do like a like a one shot or or a short series, there is a plot that I come up with, and that is what happens. But for campaigns, uh, I ask the characters, you know, what what. One of the important things, I think, is to always ask them what their adventuring party does, what's their purpose, because uh, a game about mercenaries is a lot different than a, a game about archaeologists. Mm -hmm. And so I like to take the first part of the campaign and just kind of let it be sandboxy and have them explore some stuff and self-direct and um, then kind of figure out where it's going from there. But then I do start to introduce uh, like foreshadowing and bigger plots, but those are usually... My plots tend to be, uh, because I'm more sandbox style, um, large events and things that affect an area or encroach on an area and, and you know, kind of disrupt what the players were previously doing. I do like the uh, idea of really planning on like what the, the party's motivation is. Like, is this your job or were you thrown into chaos and you're just trying to survive? Like, that's definitely a huge, like a roadmap for what the campaign can do. One of my major motivators when it comes to writing new campaigns, when it comes to starting the blank slate and and kicking things off, is uh, spite. Mm. I find a story or a concept that I fucking hate, and I try to do a version of it that I don't hate. Oh, um, okay, thank that's, you. That's fun as hell, and that would make a really <laughs> oh. good uh, like like game jam. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. my god, you're right. Like, let's all get together and dunk on Harry Potter and make the coolest wizard setting. Oh my that. god, I would love that. So, as somebody who deeply hates Harry Potter, yes, I would love that. Uh, bef before I give my answer, I would love to hear everybody's number one most hated setting that they would have. They would have a hard time running a good thing for. 
but I want to do that after Max's thing. <laughs> oh man, that's okay. Okay. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My my second big move is that during a zero session with your players. Also, hey, hey DMs, if you're not doing zero sessions with your players, you should start. It's a good idea. When I do my zero slot with my players, I ask each one of them to write down three things they want to do or see or experience or find or fight, whatever, three things that would be super interesting and exciting about a campaign. And then I try to fold all of those into the story, into the narrative, and use a lot of those as inspiration for like where I would like things to go and how I'd like think people to experience things. Yes, do that. And then also ask the same question periodically. Like every few idea. months. Yeah, yeah. Just to rem- just to keep things on track. For sure. Yeah, those are two big tricks and tools I use to get the blank slate going. For me, if we're talking literally a blank canvas, it starts with a drop. Usually like a drop of blood, it feels like. This kind of like like a wound starting to spill out. Because the second it starts, it just spreads. So uh, it'll j- I'll just be sitting there, and out of nowhere, I'll just have a thought. Uh, something obscure, like an image in my head or like a combination of senses or like I'll, I'll suddenly start like picturing an idea of like a monster or a character or a world. And then the world will start to kind of build around that concept. And then another drop will hit somewhere else and something will build from that and another drop and another drop. And as they start to kind of clash together, they overtake each other. So some ideas become purged. Some ideas get uh, created out of the, the conflict of two. And then eventually, after I've created all these disparate, you know, blotches and, and, and collections of ideas, I start purging all of them. I go through subtraction at that point. I've got all these ideas, but none of them feed a core theme. So I start to pick out things that don't serve the central narrative because there's always one. It's like a connect the dots. These individual spots of, of blood and paint and concepts start to get connected to each other, creating a picture. And if something isn't feeding that, you can just purge them all. And then start from scratch once you have that central idea, only having the things that totally and completely serve it. From that moment on, it just becomes a matter of finding the right people who you think will serve that world best. I know you're always tempted to have like your best friend or the people who are in every game. But if somebody doesn't really match the setting, if they can't make your world come to life, it's not really worth it. It's not really going to give you what you want out of it. You got to find the people who make your world happen. Yeah, for sure. Players make a big difference. The Jackson Pollock method. Thank you, Izzy. Yes, I, I designed by the Jackson Pollock method. Though he doesn't really design by subtraction. Imagine Jackson Pollock, but then once he sees a picture, he throws the canvas in the garbage and then draws that. <laughs> he can somehow suck individual colors off of the canvas. My uh, most hated setting, I think, by far would be modern, non-sci-fi, non-fantasy conspiracy theory. Mm. Think X-Files in the boring episodes. I would <laughs> I would hate that so completely, uh, especially if it was about aliens. I would just, oh my God, I hate that. <laughs> Did you really hate the new Godzilla versus King Kong movie that much? I didn't watch it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't fuck with that. You nailed it. <laughs> uh, if you want a good Godzilla movie, watch Shin Godzilla. Enough said. I I have a hard time with that one. It's, it's, a, it's a robust answer, but I would say... The like, I thought you meant Shin Godzilla. Oh, no, uh, <laughs> just the world that I think I would have a shitty time running. Some of the earliest big fantasy settings on the scene, as far as like novels and tabletop go, were so fucking like dry, high fantasy Arturian. They, it, it's you have to like give them credit for doing what they did, but like these are the people who are like writing each stronghold and how many rations they have to outlast and how many troops and each thing, like Greyhawk. 
I think Greyhawk would be the worst for me. Something about the name of every single, like I can't look at the map and not get pissed off. Like every place has a stupid <laughs> name. It's so unbelievably huge. Like it's so unnecessarily huge. And just everything about it is like, it's even drier than Dragonlance, to, which for me says a lot. This is an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's the kind of, it's like the everything about fantasy that I'm just not interested in. Like the, the cookie cutter, uh, there's so much like ingrained like sexism and just short-sighted stereotyping. It's just awful. Like it just doesn't, doesn't do it for me. My my answer is similar. Uh, my least favorite setting, is, off the top of my head, is Conan. Oh, just because of the <laughs> deeply ingrained biological determinism, as well as just like the the low magic and grittiness. It's just um, it doesn't do it for me, and I avoid I avoid that property ever since I tried to play um, like the older MMO because like I went to make a character and they have different human races in in Conan, in the world of Conan. And I was exploring my options. And to play a necromancer, you had to be a racial minority. What? And um Wait, hold on. Excuse me? <laughs> so I didn't play that game. No, that's what pass. the fuck? They also had uh pets in the cosmetic store that were people. Huh. But it's part that's of a, the that's setting. A <laughs> Don't yeah, care. so that uh, yeah, especially with so many of these settings, including things like slavery, it just that's hard pass for me. I'm definitely in the minority here. I, I I like Conan because it's so repulsively, bizarrely absurd. Like, obviously, I, I don't want to be in that world, and I don't like the world as a concept. But for me, some of the most horrible, weird, terrible places can, bre- can create some of the more compelling stories. But the question here is not whether not whether you like those kind of concepts or whatever, but whether you would run them and want to run them. And I totally respect your desire not to run that kind of shitty mm-hmm. ass but world because they're gross. It's weird I, because, like, at the same time, I would love to reimagine Dark Sun. <gasps> yep, I love Dark Sun so much. I, I have my post-apocalyptic world is very much a leaf turn of Dark Sun. Like, it's just it's just the coolest fucking fantasy post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, it's it's so evocative, um, and a lot of it is problematic and needs to be rewritten. But it's so evocative, and I like that. I like that it deals with the scarcity of steel and like the brokenness of magic. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's safe to say that. Most things, even including a good chunk of third edition, if we're talking just D&D, needs to be reimagined and updated for a more open-minded storytelling. Yep. Um, no, you're right. Third edition and Pathfinder 1 are just full of uh, bad bad stuff. But they, they started fixing it then, but it's still in there. But then you, the further back you go, the more fucked up it is. Yep, that's, the, that's our culture. <laughs> I would rather eat a bowl of molten fucking nails than run a anime magical school setting. I would rather (laughs) die in the most horrible fashion than force myself to do that. However, I will 100. Oh God. (laughs) I will 100% my game. I will do everything I can to test the limits of that game and see what the fuck I can get away with and how to just, just go ham on the theme and boy fucking howdy would i run a game that was set that way after i had my nail breakfast yeah i'd 100 percent run a, a <laughs> game that way and fuck with it i famously don't like anime at all but but 
there's like saying I don't like cartoons. I people, you know what? I'm aware. I know it's it's so broad, but but there's one that I watched that fucked with expectations. So I watched a show called Madoka, and that mm-hmm. was exactly the kind of like wild shit I would pull if I was forced to do something like that. That one has a reputation for a reason. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. It's very good. Remind me to fix you with some good anime there. I have had so many people say that and it has never worked. No, 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 no. Trust me. Um, (laughs) Again, so many people have said that. (laughs) My question is, this will be, well, no, if we each had to play a character in a new one shot that was an NPC from season two, who would we play in our little story? Like, who would you play out of all of the NPCs in season two? They don't have to be one that you created. We could steal it from Zach, but... On, it would be their, Boogle Nose. You'd want to do Boogle Nose? I mean, Boogle Nose is wonderful. Boogle Bring Nose him is, on. He's a very good little friend. Any any NPC. Yeah. Who's What's your what's your NPC Sona? <laughs> I'm going to Boogle so hard out of that nose. I just, it's so fresh in my mind still, but Thaddeus and Yarts were just so wonderful. <laughs> I would just want them to be in the story. <laughs> yeah. I do love Thaddeus and Yarts. I love the Grimalkins, but they, it, we would have to all play them. I wouldn't want to play one solo. Sure. Oh, that would yeah, be so much fun. It's, it's all Grimalkins or no Grimalkins. <laughs> Actually, I take that back. I, I 100% would play one of the Grimalkins um, with, like, Gilder as a patron. I think that would be very fun. Mm. Oh, my God. <laughs> but not, <laughs> doing, not doing anything the party tells you to, though. Yeah. <laughs> I can't really answer that question because they're all my NPCs and I'm running them. But if you had to pick one to bring into an adventure that you would get to play uh, for Choose a, a baby. Mm, I don't know. Well, Jesus, that's a really hard question. Uh, there's, a, there's some people you haven't met yet that I would love, yeah. love to play. I kind of like the death celebrant a lot, mm-hmm. especially the idea that he's a, he is the mask now. Right. So the uh, that concept is really compelling to me. Oof. Oof. Yeah, I'll I'll say with death celebrant for now, but boy howdy, that is not the actual answer. Right. I you know what there is there is almost a temptation to say uh uh rain. Uh, if only because I know more about rain than you guys, so there's actually a lot there. And, I love uh, rain. Yeah. They are definitely one of my favorites. We're about to witness a planar phenomenon, a keyhole between worlds that only marketing can penetrate. Join me as we glimpse into the adverse. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. 
Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. This is Talgadar. He's a barbarian. He's been splitting skulls and tanking hits since he was just a teen. But he's getting older. Sometimes he has trouble keeping his rage going. It doesn't stay up like it used to. Talgadar suffers from a rage tile dysfunction, and it affects one out of four barbarians his age. I wish to bring the fury. What can I do? Well, now there's Viagra. Natural enhancement to keep you raging hard on the battlefield. Ask your party cleric if Viagra is right for you. For rages lasting longer than 20 rounds, please contact an apothecary. Thank you, Viagra, for helping me steal my temper. Hey, all you cuties. It was the best of mid-roll, it was the worst of mid-roll. I hope you're enjoying this LUQ&A Battle Ask Us, which we recorded, like, a few months ago, so I don't really remember any of it. But seriously, thank you so much to everyone who sent us great questions and who gave so much of your wonderful energy to interact with the show. It means the world to us. Once again, with the come and go of patrons, naturally things must adapt, so our current legendary mid-roll teams are as follows in their entirety. On the Titans Rise, we have Christopher Mashburn, Dylan Hoyt, a.k.a. Meat Dad, and John Reinhardt. On the Twilight Concord, we have Maisie, Mike Gordon, and Big Boy Roy. And on the Ceaseless Horde, we have Dave Mladenoff, Daniel Pickens-Jones, Patch Perryman, and Jeff Ammons. These can be changed as needed, but for the time being, we're down to three. If you want to get on this list and have your name mentioned with your legendary mid-roll team, check out all the great rewards on Patreon. There's great content at every tier, especially if you like inspiration for your home games. That includes maps from Golden Stylus, stat blocks, magic items from the show, and so much more. You can also become part of the show's meta by joining one of the Battle Axis tiers. It's all waiting for you on Patreon. To get a personal message right on the show or possible advertising opportunities, reach out to admin at slapdashstudios.com. Follow us at twitch.tv forward slash slapdash streams for Monday Night Live premieres, Pokemon Soul Link Nuzlocks, Pen Pals, and so much more. We've been sharing some great fan art from the Discord on Twitter, so if you'd like to have your stuff shared, we'd love to see it. I love fan art. Email, social media, or Discord messaging is fine. We have a whole channel just for art and media, so come check it out. But that's enough out of me. Let's get you back to the Battle Ask Us. Stronger. Faster. Balanced. The world needs heroes, and heroes need the gear to stand out. Stadmore Adventuring Apparel has been your source for top-of-the-line quest wear for over 10 years, and we're ready to change the game with our new line of cutting-edge footwear. Built to boost your natural dexterity, soften your every step with advanced cushioning technology, and bring your stealth to the maximum. Introducing Sneakers. Forget the knee-high leather boots. Rogues who want to rise to the top need the kind of tools only Statmore can supply. Fashionable. Aerodynamic. Minimum encumbrance. Just because you can't be seen doesn't mean you shouldn't look good. Find our new sneakers in Rogue, Ranger, and Monk model at a store near you. Statmore Adventuring Apparel. Show some initiative. 
let's dig through the question folder. Uh, Zach, as Dungeon Boy, what has been one of your favorite moments from the players? Oh, favorite moments from the players. Whew. Uh, Combat-wise, one of my favorite moments was when Gaspar decided to try to synchronize with the head of the corpus. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that was a fucking doozy. I loved that to death. I mean, everybody delivers lines that just catch me way the fuck off guard and like totally blow my mind. But I'd say in general, my favorite moments have been the the places where Dana seems to fall completely exactly into the places where I want her to and does exactly what I had in mind without me even prompt, like totally unprompted. She'll do exactly what I was thinking. And I'm just like, right here. We're, we're in, it's like, it, there's like this fucking brain tether that's just tied in. Yeah. Um, uh, creatively, we have some very strong similarities um, and we overlap. Uh, like we, we concurrently come up with the same stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. But honestly, like, I don't think anybody, there's no weak link here. Everyone has done a beautiful job of delivering on their character, creating good moments for me, and just like selling everything. Though I think overall, my favorite chapter is Kinuent. Mm, that was a really fun one, though. Like, it, it was a ton of I liked Kinuent. It was one of the ones I had the most prepared for, and it was the most inspired for, and like everybody worked with it so perfectly. Uh, it was it was ideal. Excellent. Yeah, and that, that one had a really great balance of like written content to improvisation too, which is like a really fun kind of when you're right in that perfect zone. More and more, I'm finding that everybody's favorite moments seem to be the parts where I don't do anything and y'all do shit instead. So I'm just going to like, I'm not going to run anything anymore. I'm just going to like set up the scene and then be like, and then I'm gone. Y'all can play the fucking NPC. (laughs) Very good. Izzy has a similar question following that up that says, what was a thing that a player did that made you reassess your views on how what humans want or think? Oh. I mean, first of all, none of us are human. None of us is technically. <laughs> oh, wait. I well, am human. Oh, you're yeah. a huge man. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm not entirely sure uh, what the question's getting at. Like, Maybe like a players. Has there been like a player mic drop that was so strong that you're like, I am actually changed as a person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's kind of a, that's kind of a tricky question. I, I think I've got a pretty good idea of what players and characters want in a given scene. And so nothing really changes my expectations of that. Though I'll say on the regular, uh, almost with like a, with a multiple times per episode frequency, Angela will do something I am not expecting him to do. Uh, it's almost as if he's deliberately trying to think of what is likely going to happen and then just doing something completely different. Not in like not in like a disruptive, like I'm trying to ruin Zach's game way, but in a, you know, that's totally a, a reasonable and feasible action you might take. But okay, I just wasn't thinking you were going to do that. Angela's I the have... kind of player that really brings a, a fork to the soup buffet. Yep. <laughs> I, and you're like, you shouldn't have... do that. And then you watch him eat soup with a fork and you're like, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> Not only have I seen Angelo literally do that, I have had the privilege of him being at my D&D tables for an, an extremely long time. And that has always been true. Uh, and it's always fun. He also being one of the newer, uh, one of the newer members of the group, and also one of the few people without podcasting experience, he's one of the only people here who doesn't think like a podcaster and doesn't think like a performer. 
So he plays like a D&D player, which I think is really, really helpful in this group in particular, because y'all are often very conscientious of me. Mm-hmm. So having somebody come in and just be like, unexpected bullshit, it, no, it, it helps sure. a lot. Especially playing the part of the rogue. Like it just, it just matches oh, yeah. Yeah. the archetype. And Angelo's in the chat. Sorry I couldn't squeeze you in on the break, Angelo. We would have had to resync everything, and it would have just not really worked out. Hey, Angelo. I would so have said that even here. if you weren't here. <laughs> I'm actually, I got to say, I'm kind of glad we don't because then I get Angelo's like hush face over and over and over again, which is just a delight. <laughs> it is fun to watch. <laughs> Let's see. Looking for questions. Guillotine asks if, unless, if no one asked. Okay, no, this is a fresh one. Would you consider? I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> would you consider playing another tabletop RPG outside of D&D and Pathfinder for a side story or spinoff? Uh, oh, great. Zach's going to take this one for a while. <sighs> <laughs> I'm going to be real with you. I think I've said this in an LUQ&A before. I fucking hate D&D. Like, I don't, <laughs> maybe that's not true. That's not true. I don't hate it. But for me, D&D serves a very specific purpose. And all of the purposes it serves have nothing to do with what I want. I don't get anything I like out of D&D. I would much rather run literally anything. Right. Uh, I, I, like, we were just talking about Dogs in the Vineyard. I would love to run a Dogs in the Vineyard game. Mm-hmm. Like, literally any other game I would rather play, run than 5e. Here's the problem. You will probably never see us run a main flagship game that is not 5e for one reason. Audience. Mm-hmm. People know D&D. They understand D&D. They like D&D. If I ran something in Fate, it would get less than half of the audience if I run it than if I ran it in 5e. Especially if they have to, like, learn new rules. That's the big thing. Like, because if people don't understand, like, if I tell someone to like, okay, make a concept roll, and then they do it, I don't know what you're rolling. I don't know what that means. I don't know what pass failure is. Like, if you have kind of a preconceived notion of what's good and what's bad in the system, it really helps make combat actually seem tense or make the numbers make sense. Right. And as a setting, luck is also very much written for the dragon game. And so I, dragon. to that question, uh, do, I, do I think we'll ever run luck? in another system. It's not likely. If we did, it would probably change a little bit in in, in tone, certainly. Uh, but, you know, would we play other games? Yeah, I stream other games all the time. I know shit would definitely like, at some point, to run a Song of Ice and Fire luck game, if only because it would include age, and it would include, uh, like, injuries, and it would include, include permanent maiming from injuries, etc. And there's no healing in it, so, like, the idea of being like, I'm going to run a sport game where like shit that happens to human bodies actually happens and you have to deal with the consequences of that is so tasty. Like the, the idea of one of you taking a wound and then having to take like three weeks to heal it and then you're like, you're out for the fucking season. Like, oh, mwah, sounds like great beautiful. content. <laughs> <laughs> can I, can I, mean, I make could, a, it would be great if you do it right. Can I make a formal request? Yes. Please, for the love of God, don't make me play GURPS, please. No, please, please. Never, Max, I'm God, never going to make please. you play GURPS. Thank you. And for those at, at home playing LUQ Bingo, you can check off the Zach mentioning Song of Ice and Firebox. <laughs> we are consistent. Uh, it's called Chronicle now. Oh, is it? That's cool. Oh. They uh, they lost they lost the license for it, and so now they created a new yes. like they created a new book called just uh, Chronicle, the uh, Chronicle of the Sword, or something like that. It's dumb. I would love to yeah. do other. I don't think again. I don't think it would be LUQ, but just other streaming games and stuff is fine. I've done some weird stuff in the past too, which I could see working with like a brief LUQ thing, where like they literally change dimensions in like Pathfinder, and then I hand everyone a version of their character written in a fourth edition character sheet. 
and they have to actually change yeah. editions because they're in another universe and figure out how to play 4E. Uh, I love 4E. <laughs> that would make me well, so 4E was perfect, though, because everything's on the character 4E sheet. 4E kicked ass. You could just Hell look at yeah, the character dude. sheet and be like, I literally know everything I can do. This is it. Yep. Um, oh, in the chat, Angelo just said he'd love to play in a die game. Mm-hmm. Yes, that would please. be sick. Yes, that would be please. really sick. I would love to play in a die game with y'all. Kick- well, you are obligated to run a die game for a podcast or stream. I have yes. I kickstarted the shit out of that. <laughs> yeah, I got one of the high tiers. Like, I'm oh, very excited. I'm yeah. I, I'm, I did not. I have, I'm not a money boy, but I did <laughs> get I did get the hardcover because I wanted the hardcover real bad. Subex, I'm right there with you. Wolf asks, what's Die? Die is a series of graphic novels. I think there are only four volumes, so if you want to read it, it's very easy to read. It's uh, basically Dungeons & Dragons meets Jumanji, in that this group of kids gets sucked into their game world, and it explores that in a more realistic way, and how it affects their um, post-traumatic stress disorder and things when they return. And it's very... It subverts so many D&D tropes, and it's, it's... very good. Highly recommend. And there's a game based on it. Also reimagines archetypes and classes in a way that's really compelling. I'd also say there's a lot of it in there, too, with the way it plays with time and the yeah. separation between I was, I was literally going to say it's like the second half of it, but instead of a clown, it's a giant, horrible fantasy world. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because the, the way that they conceive their classes, and I won't go into this at length, but they, um, there's one of the characters is a grief knight. Because the the writers thought, well, a barbarian gets their power from rage. What if you got your power from other emotions? And so he gets more powerful, the more grief-stricken he is. And he's just a very tragic character. And then another example is, like, the the one of the characters is essentially a bard, but they said, what would a bard really be like in, in one of these things if we follow that through to its end? And the class is called Dictator, and it's terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because bards make you feel things. Mm-hmm, bards yeah. ensorcelle you. We we could all probably talk about die quite a bit. It's a wonderful segment, yeah. and just the way they reinvent classes and the tropes of fantasy is a top notch. Very good art as well. I need to read the comics. I never have. It's I've good. heard a lot about them, but I need it's to read good. them. I have all. Let's of them. just say that in the Kickstarter to to sell the system, uh, the DM is actually just playing a character that is the dungeon master, and their class abilities are telling the story and changing the world. Like that's <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> digging through the questions. Get that question shovel out. Let's dig, dip back mm. into that really tasty wolf of the borderline thread. Um, your character Ooh, has that knowledge dirt around. Uh, this is a question for all. Your character has earned a much envied sponsorship of the maker of Sour Patch Kobolds with the added bonus of branding your own snack food. What do you make and would your teammates eat it? <laughs> what is your character's snack food? I feel like would uh, I always is dry boy stew bites. <laughs> I I feel like old penny would be like candied flower petals. Mm. Mm. Berries, and really <laughs> Berries and brine. Berries and brine. I'm gonna state right now. Um, wherever this conversation goes, my answer is I'll eat anything but bushes. <laughs> you don't want my sand flavored gummies. I feel like sugar barnacles makes a lot more sugar sense. And the, <laughs> yeah, but they have like that horrible texture, like the like the Chico sticks or the those multi crunchy oh, yeah. like. 
Oh, and, and it's important to note that you don't just like pull them out of a bag. No, it's like a powder that you sprinkle on yourself and add water. And then within a few days, you will grow your own sugar barnacles mm, out of like whatever place. It's like a candy <laughs> puka necklace. Nature intended. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a living, thinking sugar uh, entity that grows <laughs> barnacles out of me. <laughs> Angelo uh, answered in the chat. Gummy bears oh, with please. heads already bitten off. <laughs> And that doesn't mean that does not mean that they are made without heads. They had heads. Somebody <laughs> made them off. off. Yeah, you you see Dirk Bradley's like tooth impressions all over the <laughs> gummy torsos. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting that sweet chalky sensation thinking about a crunchy wooshosh mm. seashell candy. <laughs> it would it yeah. would have real sea particles in it, so you know, like broken seashells and sand and shit like that. It's part of the <sighs> the. Full mouth experience. It's like salted Pez. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's like s- salted gritty Pez. And then I want I want to say uh, Pentecostes would be sort of like a candied teriyaki jerky almost. Mm. All right, but hold I can, on. I can picture it in my head, but it doesn't exist, and I'll have to experiment. Like like yes. salmon candy, it's just horse beef. livers. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very similar. Nice. I feel bad leaning on the stew thing with Iavos too much. I'm just like trying to picture like a like a ball of stew that you would get in a bag of chips, like little little dehydrated stew bites. What I was thinking was like a savory gusher, <laughs> mm. or like original Penny having like gushers, but they're all full of wine, <laughs> like wine gushers. Oh boy! Also, uh, candied biltong says uh, Golden <laughs> Stylus. Yeah, that's biltong. Mm. It's so it good. Sound good. It's not jerky. It seems like it is, but it's not. I swear. No, it's not. <laughs> Stew Lunchables. I I now have the firm opinion that soup dumplings are just savory gushers. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Damn it. Just... XLB gushers. <laughs> Max, stop changing the way I think about things in real time. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a shrimp flavored gusher. Just love it. <laughs> Dust flavored potato chips. Thank you, Izzy. <laughs> Trail dust. Can you imagine um, for for Wusha, like basically like a baby bottle pop, but like you dip the thing in and you're like, it's just sand. <laughs> one is full of seawater and one is just sand, and you just dip it. Suck it. <laughs> Gross. Oh, I'm I'm really good. Dip it and taste it. Mm. (laughs) Dip it and regret it. (laughs) I'm just picturing like extreme dust Doritos. (laughs) (laughs) I was I was picturing some sort of candied hermit crab. You're absolutely right on that, Wolf. Like you have to like pull it out of the shell and dip it back in. Oh, but it's it's a gummy crab, but the shell is like (laughs) crunchy candy. So you get like the double texture. Okay, but Uh, real talk, I, I would eat that. Sure. I do feel like, given that you are very farm themed, uh, Cool Ranch Doritos is totally acceptable. <laughs> no, but it's it's just bad ranch Doritos, just dry, <laughs> <laughs> Un- uncool ranch Doritos. Oh, uh, cr- cruel, cruel ranch, cruel Doritos. ranch Doritos. I was going to say lame ranch Doritos, but cruel ranch is pretty good. <laughs> I'm from the Withering Acre, also known as the Cruel, cruel Ranch. ranch. <laughs> Super good, uh, Max. What's up? The dungeon you created for the Forge Challenge was extremely creative. Though oh, thank you. It's been a while. Can you speak on some of your thoughts in designing it? Do you have any particular inspirations? Totally. 
Uh, I mentioned earlier that I, I often turn to video games for big inspirations, and there is a gym in the first Pokemon game in red and blue that was a big inspiration for how that dungeon worked mechanically, like teleporting from one room to Sabrina's. another and trying to... Yeah, thank you. Okay. I'm Saffron glad City. Knew. Delicious city. I... <laughs> I set out with the idea to base my dungeon off of a Pokemon something just because of Law and Zack's <laughs> Nuzlocke runs and shit like that. And I thought they would appreciate it. I, I didn't know that, and I love it. <laughs> if, I remember, if I remember correctly, Hades was also a big inspiration. Yes, yes. Mm. I had just started playing Hades recently, and that was more of like the Grecian... Uh, that explains sort of Undeadalus. Like a, yeah, Undeadalus. Mm. I am still very proud of that character. <laughs> Perfect. I really like i am i'm also a big fan of exploration so the idea of exploring from like one place to another and not really like knowing what was around the next turn and having to adapt really quickly to what you discover and what you find would work not only really well on a podcast but is also it's just a fun like D experience in general the having to push into the unknown with something you don't fully understand and then learning about it as you go also, with the boss for that, I really like big evil trees. They're just fun things to fight. What's not to um, love? I, right? It's bark is something, something, it's leaves. Uh, and that's the most effort I have for that joke. What about me and leaves? Huh? Oh, you said bark, it, bark, <laughs> is, bark something, is something, something, it's leaves. <laughs> but when I came to Zach with the idea of the like nature, like weird, crumbling nature focused dungeon and the big evil tree at the end i think i watched him actively shit his pants with excitement did not know that i was hitting on things that were i had never really listened to the show very much before mm -hmm. i was on it and well, here's, uh, did here's the best part up until that point the darkwood had not come up yet oh all. shit it had not been a part of the game oh. i was waiting i was like trying to figure out what exactly i wanted to do as the first like taste of the darkwood as a as a as a thing and then you mentioned the idea that you wanted this like giant monster tree. And I'm like, Oh God, it's so good. <laughs> that was and at the same time, uh, Penny had also just started doing like her backstory, like songs and stuff. And like all the cool stuff that was going on with that. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is all coming together so perfectly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> just sprinkle some Penny trauma on there. Yeah. You got it. favorite you condiment. Gotta. <laughs> oh yeah, no. If if when in doubt, make Penny suffer. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, that the once we nailed down sort of like the Grecian theme to that, the the Cyclopses being the like wandering things around there sort of fit naturally. I like having lots of hazards and things like that. So the idea of the berries that could either be really dangerous to interact with or really helpful. Uh, were fun. The, the gravity grapes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> why is this? Why is this grape getting so big? <laughs> I still giggle about those cyclopses now and then. <laughs> I also I I realized that I needed something to slow progression down in the dungeon a little bit mm. because theoretically it wasn't hard to just race through it and get from one place to another. So I added the uh, like vase full of something heavy that you needed to bring with you to slow everybody down and to actually give pacing to it and not just be like, oh, we finished. Now I'm going to sit here for two hours and try to make up for empty airtime. 
the best escort quest, uh, the one that you carry, and you don't have to worry about it running off and doing yeah, stupid yeah, bullshit. Your escort yeah, quest is a 200 pound bucket. Yes. <laughs> With something inside. Don't I'm a little, spill it. I'm a little sad that we never got to see the grinder rooms. Right. Because the point of the Cyclopses were to like tangle you up in that shit and then pick you up and put you on the teleporter that would throw you into the grinder room. But you guys decided to just fucking annihilate them instead. Well, I'm glad you had such a <laughs> concise plan to murder us. You say that like it was easy. <laughs> you guys blasted through that shit. It was great. We gave that dungeon diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> also, DMing and character voice the whole time was a ton of fun. That is a very good. That take. was intense. <laughs> I think I think anytime we do in world dungeon masters, uh, they're gonna have to DM in right, character, like, a, like a, yeah. a sculpted dungeon for sure. <laughs> hey Zach, which encounter has been your favorite to set up or run thus far in this campaign? This is a note on you having very creative, like combat settings and things like that. Uh, I do feel like you should read the whole thing because I need the ego. Boost oh, cool. No, I, I uh, was going. <laughs> I was going off of memory. <laughs> Let me find it I real quick. I would love, love to hear the whole sentence. <laughs> Let me find it real quick. Read a slower question, Daddy. <laughs> I know it is. It is definitely. It's definitely Law's like one of Law's many uh, slapdash responsibilities to make sure my ego doesn't grow too big and collapse under its own weight. But I could definitely use a little bit of a pick me up right now. <laughs> Your combat encounters routinely set a high bar for creativity and complexity while remaining easily digestible for players and listeners. Which has been your favorite to set up thus far? So there's two that really uh, stand out to me as like fun and exciting and like work really well in the world. The first one chronologically was when they fought onto Wisteria. I had the idea for that fight literally 30 minutes before people showed up at the door. I did not have it planned completely, but the inspiration for it came so instantaneously and so powerfully. And I was like, I know exactly what to do. And I literally just wrote out the rules, how it's going to work, everything just done. And I'm like, this is going to be the greatest fucking fight ever. <laughs> Telling you big evil trees. I also really liked, honestly, that whole chapter, I mean, I know that chapter was a little on the slow side, but literally the whole era chapter had some of my best fights. The fight in the graveyard, I loved. I love the idea of uh, a hazard that's only really threatening if you pass them, mm -hmm. uh, and then the idea of ghosts being these things that just hurt you as you move through them. But I have to say my favorite is the corpus, specifically the prion fight. Mm -hmm. uh, the prion fight, that. there was a lot of foreshadowing for how the prion fight was going to go once they started fighting the antibodies and seeing how the body reacted to immuno like in immune threats and then there's just so much like groundwork laid to make sure that like the biology of it was as accurate as i could get it and then the actual like engaging element of the fight and the the creatures the way they were designed and how they all work together and it was it was really fun to run and just super super exciting yeah that one was definitely one of my that was possibly my favorite too just because it was so challenging and um and doing an earlier encounter with just the antibodies and the the nodes and things to show the mechanics of that before introducing all the other stuff was a very good move. I've been asked we've been asked this a lot in general of like how do you run a good combat and the best thing I can do is play more video games and more importantly watch video game reviews that talk about how uh how you educate players, how you teach them over time uh through exposure and start to do your best to make sure that you have early fights that teach little elements and then the big fight all kind of takes the experience of the dungeon that you're in and the early fights and marries them together and forces them to think on their feet with all the skills they've learned throughout the dungeon. Mm -hmm. Video games in D&D are basically the same thing. You, It's not hard to design things that match what they do in video games. Yep. That's really good advice. 
Yeah, Zelda's like a really good template for that kind of thing. Where like this dungeon, you, you get this, this one new ability, and it's the key to beating the boss. But also, it references a dungeon from before. Like just which ties in another thing. Don't be tempted to only give rewards at the end of a quest. Giving them in the middle can give you an opportunity to make a boss that uses them. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on, if you guys had checked the nodes and gotten the uh, the prion ampules, you would have been able to use them to fight the uh, the antibodies and the macrophages. Interesting. But yeah, sometimes like giving a reward early, it's not like you beat the boss and now you've won this. It's you found this and now you have to fight to keep this. Like that kind of stuff like adds to taking it mm-hmm. out of the dungeon with you. It's like, well, I earned this. <laughs> I know nobody asked about this stuff, but I'm glad we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah. And plus the prion fight, like you guys don't see it, but like ever since season one, like we've become so uh, passionate about like just doing good maps and having miniatures and stuff that work oh, the well. maps are so good and i love seeing how that's progressed in season two but like it, it's almost a bummer that you all can't see like all of them because the the prion fight map was really cool like we did a great job with all of the guts and bones and things it looked really cool it's gorgeous but something about having like a really <laughs> dynamic and strong visual map adds to the combat so much i don't know why it absolutely does though mm. Like some of my most memorable fights in like season one, I can just like picture the map because like there was like terrain and stuff that just brought it to life. I don't know. The subject of inspirations came up a while ago and I do want to address that real quick because Izzy just mentioned that the, some of my game design is uh, not, not, not a little souls inspired. I want to, I want to clear the air here. Yes, I am very derivative. I know I come up with ideas that are very borrowed from other things. I want to be totally transparent about the stuff that's inspired me for this. When I was a, t- a teenager, I read the Dark Tower series, which I really, really, really loved. I forgot everything about the Dark Tower series completely, 100%. And then when I was running this game, I realized, hey, Zach, you got a lot of Dark Tower in here, Chief. And then I decided to start re-listening to it. And I am now realizing how much of the Dark Tower is in mm. Season 2. So if you want, if you basically want more of the flavor of Season 2 and you haven't done it yet, read the Dark Tower play Dark Souls and uh, just just try to looking for some really grim fantasy. Anything that starts with dark, you're good. <laughs> yeah, if it starts with dark, get into it. Also, watch Over the Garden Wall. Yeah, of course. Just in general, do that. Those are definitely like Zach's three, yeah. For any My setting, though, like things, yeah. Over the Garden Wall should go into any setting. Yes, if you can. There's more than a little bit in Undermile. <laughs> like, it's just it's a good tone to set. Oh, man, I just had a really good one. Oh, yeah. Where'd the question go, though? Here we go. So Hurley, and I like this one because it lets us improvise and think about things in world. Other than Hal, what games would other characters play on the Hexbox? Like what are some other oh. LUQ world video games that exist? I'm trying to like. Sid Meier's definitely not pirates. <laughs> <laughs> There's one that I know people would play, but I can't bring it up because it's not going to happen for another couple chapters. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. That's How dare you mean. tease us? Mm. I figure there's probably got to be like a Spelljammer racer game. <laughs> oh, like, like Pod Racer, but with Spelljammers. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. <laughs> What's it? Skiffs? Solar Skiffs? Is that the. Is that a game? No, the, the boats we use to get around places. Oh, yeah. What are they fucking called uh, again? There, there are so many different kinds. I actually wrote up like a list of different oh, okay. kinds of boats that you guys ride. Uh, you're probably thinking of a s- solar sloop or something. There sloop. we go. Sun sloop. Sun sloop. Yeah, 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 yeah. Smaller, smaller boats or sun sloops. I had a commercial that was just a list of really ridiculous names of different <laughs> spell jammer ships. Like the Skyfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one. With, uh, with plurals existing, you could have Emotional Wave Racer. 
What? <laughs> I don't even know what that would be. I don't know how it would work, but listen, I'm an ideas guy. <laughs> I do big picture. <laughs> or there's like a, a perfect game for Gaspar would be like like a snowboarding game where you're also like deactivating traps on the way down, like SSX tricky <laughs> skill challenge. <laughs> I do feel like rogue games would just be a thing. Like you're just, oh, it's all just stealth and shit like that. When you're a rogue, oh, every yeah. game is a roguelike. Well, and I do need you to understand, uh, not canonically, but also let's be real. It's canonical. Uh, since, since Bethesda has started tapping into multiverses, you know, they've released Skyrim on the hex. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> You can play it on Scry now. 50th anniversary Skyrim. (laughs) So off the top of my head, Pentagos would play Labyrinth of Love. It is a Minotaur dating sim that uh, (laughs) takes place in a maze. Mm. I can see see Pentagos doing dating sims. That's very funny. (laughs) I guess I almost would play like Cooking Papa or something. (laughs) (laughs) Cooking Papa. You just like play Stardew Valley on just the hardest settings. <laughs> Stew Valley. You get one seed. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stardoom Valley. <laughs> yes. That's good. That's good. Uh, yeah. Harvest, Harvest Moon, Moon. Pretty much. Yeah. We should work on this dating sim. There should be an LUQ dating sim. Um, I mean, if, if we had art assets, we could do it in Renpy. League of Ultimate Kissing. <laughs> <gasps> yes. Like, but kissing is spelled with a Q. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> but it has, it has an NSFW mod called League of Ultimate Breasting. Oh, no. <laughs> and also other spelled things. with a Q. Hey. <laughs> Spelling kissing with a Q is very fun and upsetting to me. <laughs> oh, oh, I would good. totally make that, but y'all have to agree to... Uh, the boys need to be cute in the artwork. Wuxia is cute all the time. Okay, that's true. I just love the idea of, I like the idea of Iavos being like a handsome Squidward, just like, <laughs> just chiseled and glorious. But then when he takes his robe off, he's just like bones, <laughs> skeletal. Yeah. No, that would be great. Like, I, uh, I, I have to admit, whenever I, whenever I play with anyone else's character on, on Hero Forge, I always have to like... I'm like, oh, let's soften this a bit. Let's increase, like, make the lips a little more supple. Like, just pillowy. To make all yeah, the miniatures like, more kissable. Yeah. Like, all, all these boys need to be more kissable. Like, they're, when you all make them, they're all just, like, chiseled and. Can I just be real? My biggest, my biggest problem with the, uh, my only real problem with the fan art for Artyom is everybody makes him handsome. Uh, I was very clear. He is an ugly man. He is very not handsome. Did you see Hurley's recent one, though? No, I didn't. I put it on Twitter. Uh, he's, it's the, the height of people is very not accurate to the story, but <laughs> Archium looks like this oh, wonderful shit. little goblin, and he's per- he's got like a hook nose. I'm so... Hurley, I, I adore you. You're so good. Thank you so much. <laughs> Seriously, everybody makes him handsome, and I'm like, he is an ugly motherfucker. <laughs> like, he's not good looking. Yeah. I think uh, okay, Gaspar kisses Stump first, by the way. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, don't. Don't. <laughs> don't, don't. don't, please. But he's, don't. he's got that sucking stump. He's going to kiss your soul out with his neck hole. What that stump do? <laughs> if, if you go for the stump, you're not going to be kissing Gaspar. You're going to be kissing someone else. Gaspar's all stumps and rums. Oh my. <laughs> Those lovely lady stumps. <laughs> yeah, how does Gaspar? Um, 
Reshpin has a question, which is, uh, but where did it go? Workout routines are very important for most professional athletes. What kind of workout routine does each member of the team have? <laughs> it's a lot of rowing exercises for Wuxia. Oh yeah. Oh, you, you got like the, it's just the rowing, like <laughs> the, the rope thing where you do this, but it's like old chains and anchors and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I was just reads. <laughs> <laughs> I've read about exercising today. It was exhausting. <laughs> yeah, he's a book boy. He works out his brain meats. Both versions of, of Penn do work out. Their workouts are a little different. Penny was a little more aerobic, and Penn is a lot more strength training, but um, but they, they, they both did uh, a, a lot of training to, to keep up with the demands of this profession. I like the idea that Penny and Penn's exercises were exactly the same running through a forest. The difference is that Penny was running from something and Penn was running for something. Right. That's very funny. I like that. <laughs> That's good. In general, as far as the LUQ is concerned, they do have like recommended uh, exercises and it is literally just like a full body exercise designed to do whatever, you know, like it's one of those like really boring, like pre-prescribed, like do this many of this, this many of this, yada, yada, yada. But more often than not, sparring is the only thing anyone cares about. Uh, athletic regimens are largely only really designed to simulate combat in the same way that when you're doing a boxing camp, you're not going to be doing strength training. You don't bench press. You don't do deadlifts. You do boxing training. Mm. So accuracy, speed. I like the idea that like you input your, your ability scores and it gives you like a, a customized <laughs> like workout routine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Yep. Wuxia does a lot of swimming exercises, but nobody wants to come into the pool after him. <laughs> oh, God. It's just like... <laughs> it's it, Wuxia also makes stew every time he enters a body of water. <laughs> Stusha. He always brings a little bit of milk so he can turn it into a chowder. <laughs> yeah. It's just in his, in his pockets. He just carries it with him. Chowder in my veins. Every time he gets in the fucking whirlpool to, to like <laughs> relax, he comes out, dumps in some cream. Oh, uh, delicious. Don't say don't say dump in cream <laughs> about anything again. Whoosh <laughs> over here dumping cream. <laughs> Dare you enter the jacuzzi of chowder? <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you are on this stream right now and you tell me you would not dip into a chowder fucking jacuzzi even a little bit, then you are a fucking liar. <laughs> so I think it's ready. <laughs> We've just finished running the stucuzzi. <laughs> or the gestuzzi. <laughs> just- <laughs> That's very good. Uh, what that just does he do? <laughs> is this like a beach towel covered in little crackers next to it? <laughs> <laughs> Have a dunk. Oh, man. <laughs> Why is there a giant bread bowl on your back porch? <laughs> it's the Justizi. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, 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 oh. Um, just filth wherever I go. <laughs> I, th- I think I'm out of questions for the Discord. We got some here on the chat that we could. Yeah, I'm scrolling up. Oh boy. What's our time? 
Uh, we minus the five minute break, we've been going for an hour and a half. So we're going to wrap very soon. I think like one, one more good question for the group, I think would probably be a good way to, to zip up this sandwich bag of a episode. Let's see. I good like group question. Boy, what flavored stew do you make when you enter water? No. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I'm going to ask a question that is very much related to the future of the show, mm. and it might be a little a, a little hint of spoilery, but I think that's okay. I think it's okay for this space. Spoiler. What is something you're hoping to see as players in the next three chapters? Oh, damn. And I would love to hear from the audience on this, too. Which gear one? Yeah, or I think if you got like two, that's fine. Well, as long as it's it's non-specific, solid. but since we leveled up, there's some new flavor that Iavos can bring to some scenarios. But I'm just waiting for those scenarios to come up so I can do it. So that'll be fun. Okay, the next three months. Hmm. I'm really excited to learn and see more of the creepy, spooky history behind Gaspar because we got like. A little, a little taste of it recently, and I really fucking liked it. I want, I want more. I kind of feel, I don't know. I feel like in the progression of the story, I almost feel like we're at a point where, like, we've we've gone through so much team disassembly and reassembly with people like having to go or narratively getting pulled out of the group. I feel like we're about to hit like an apex of like something's going to happen where there's like a, a conflict or a big argument or something, and we're either going to have to like rally and become stronger than ever or have this like kind of dark cloud hanging over us of something that happened together. I don't know. Hmm. I want to see uh, Penn take a hot shit all over Ophidian Ashpool's chest. Bold. Uh, <laughs> Very specific visual. Give him the old Cleveland steamroller. Zenithal <laughs> <laughs> steamroller. Um, that's that's very unlikely, but I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I see like all the moments that I'm really highly anticipating are mostly like would be big story moments. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm really, I'm really hungry to like meet Crom. Like yeah. I think that will be a really powerful scene and things like that. I'm also, I, I'm unabashedly excited about, you know, this, subplot between Penn and Hal right now. And I don't, you know, I don't have plans for it. I don't know where it's going to go, but that that's the thing that's really top of mind for me. I definitely want to see Penny punch someone with her golden arm. <laughs> Just right in the face. Oh, that'd be great. God, I, I need to RFI at least once before this season ends. I'll forget. <laughs> someone remind me. But Sidonis had a, a voice clip request that I, I would be happy to oblige. <clears throat> I came to this realm to do two things, eat ears and kick rears. And I just ran out of ears. <laughs> when we were talking about Penny doing a Cleveland steamer on someone's chest, I was trying to think of like a Penny or Faye term for that. And the best thing I came up with was pants pipes. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's dumb and doesn't even make that much sense. Just... Pants pipes. I don't even like also, it. Also, I would oh, definitely love awful. to see some Leviathan interaction. That would be fucking sick. Mm. Let let Wuxia do what he's best at and go away, Lin. 
that was a good wrap up. Although this one that Izzy asked about the intellectual property is very tempting to go into. But uh, what is it? Oh, Izzy just yeah. asked if your character got transported to another intellectual property, what suits them best? <laughs> it's like it's a really fun question. <sighs> it's a very Izzy question, and I love it. Oh, we can do it. We got time. I'm trying to think of the perfect one for Iavos and like grapes of just wrath. like a DLC character <laughs> in a video game would be very. Very Is Grapes of Wrath an intellectual property? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a Grapes of Wrath TTRPG? <laughs> In the Steinbeckiverse? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm very single note here because I, I'm very, much like Zach, very transparent about the types of games that I enjoy. But Penny already has a signature sword and shield. So I would love for uh, Pentecost to be in Boyfriend Dungeon. Mm-hmm. That'd be a very good DLC. Oh, I didn't think about video games. I was thinking of books for some reason. Like, <laughs> <laughs> or, or in a movie. movie no, franchise. that tracks, dude. Honestly, like Stardew Valley by Avos would be pretty fucking great. You could just fucking <laughs> chill out and talk to people and plant stuff and do magic. There's just like this this sad old gray man in town that's like, Oh, isn't it wonderful that this town has water? <laughs> I'll see you in Never. your dreams. What? I'm so huh? <laughs> More than anything, I would love for season two's uh, animation thing to be made by Pat McHale, the guy who made uh, Over the Garden Wall. Mm. I would, I would love to see what they would do with uh, some of the stuff we got brewing. Mm-hmm. Wuxia's obvious answer is Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Just, that's absolutely fair. Yes, yeah. that's, that's the best. But he's not a pirate. He's not a pirate. But not everybody there is a pirate. No, he's he, just be. He'd be a whaling. He goes you can poke, whale Pokemon in that Emerald. Game. It's like an all water map. <laughs> it's hold, called hold Assassin's Creed up. Flag. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Wuxia in One Piece. That would be fucking amazing. <laughs> oh. Oh, I've yes. never seen it, so I can't speak I'm the to only person it, at Slapdash that is a big One Piece fan, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay, if we're if we're talking about like TV shows, I would love to see Pentecost in Centaur World. Oh yeah, I forgot that existed. Mm. <laughs> Everyone did. I saw the first season and I still forgot it existed. <laughs> yeah. I try like uh do we want to give a I'm just trying to figure out how to wrap this this stream. It's so non-standard for how we do things. Um, I mean, we could just go around and all say well, farewell. Or m- maybe do me a favor and return the question I just asked on me. Oh, what, what? Which one was it? The one about what do you want to see in the next three months from the story? Rather than what I want to see, what y'all can expect to see. Ah, okay, I like that. And I will tell you that what you can expect to see are some things to change and never go back to the way they were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like that. God fucking damn it. I'm ready. <laughs> I like it. No go backsies. Yeah, I was like reticent to ask you because I was like, if you tell us what you want to see, you can just make it happen. <laughs> you can mm-hmm. magic it up. Uh, okay, um, Woosh. If I drop a hot shit on Ophidian's chest, I, I will owe you a Coke. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll take it. It's a rock shasta. <laughs> I, I won't wash him clean. <laughs> Uh, okay. Oh my um, Shasta, fuck off. That's amazing. <laughs> huh? You're what you said, Rock Shasta. It's it, excellent. It's our canonical it's soda brand. It's, <laughs> I I know. I just forgot, and it's incredible. <laughs> Although I've been playing with the idea of, of Archfago. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs>
Well, that's a commercial. <gasps> oh, no. Angelo uh, responded to the question of what he wants to see happen in the next three <laughs> episodes or chapters. He says, I want to see nothing change. <laughs> Uh-huh. Oh, God. He likes, he also, likes consistency. Good changes. Also, I'll bully Law a little bit. Good job, anime nerd. There we go. That's that's the best <laughs> I got. My my quiver's empty. <laughs> it's funny because I'm like very lukewarm to about 90% of anime. <laughs> but the other 10%, I'm like, ah. Same. Ah. <laughs> Heal me with your wonderful cartoon lines. Um, <laughs> well, this has been the second ever season two LUQ&A. We've had Max with us, which is a special treat. Um, it's been a ton of fun. For, for me in particular, Max's presence Aww. heals me. Um, Aww, and you. having everyone's live questions has actually been super cool. And also just the immediate responses to us saying things kind of adds another degree. So I think it's safe to say we'll probably do more LUQ&A in this format in the future. It just makes sense, kind of. If we can get to the point where we have got really good income, I would love to set up a studio with like chairs and everything like that and lighting. Yeah, so like a like a living room, room theater kind of thing where we can just kind of do this like that we could do it like once a month. Like Let's talk. I would love that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be awesome. Let's plan. Absolutely. Someday. Someday we will have a slapdash studio. That's what I want. <sighs> That's all I want. With an office and, and a room for gaming and oh man, would that be dope? Can you just imagine a, a recording room which has its own dedicated air conditioning that doesn't make a shitload of noise? Oh. And like a glass wall recording station. Mm. Oh. Anyway, we're going to keep dreaming and y'all keep following us and sharing information with your friends. Visit the LUQ.com. Of course, um, this might get uploaded to YouTube, but it's definitely going to be one of our week's episodes because we need filler. <laughs> We've been having a lot of illness in the cast and we're just a little behind, but this is going to help us out. Yeah. And actually this would be a good opportunity to clarify exactly what we're dealing with. We've had, we've had COVID issues. We've had COVID scares. Yeah. We've had, uh, you know, like obviously Michael's still, you know, brand new child and all that stuff. Everybody's going through a lot right now. This is the first time you're going to see some real like slowdown while we try to catch up with what we've got uh, planned. Yep. So sorry again if the content isn't catching up quite the way you want it to, but uh, it, rest assured it's coming. It seems like all of the care and caution we've put into being able to continue recording during the whole pandemic is finally just like somehow caught up in the past couple of weeks. And now the things we were trying to avoid keep uh, rearing their ugly head, but we're doing our best to keep filling stuff in. And thankfully there was some other content happening at the time, which might help us pad things. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We're not going to stop doing this. We're just going to do it as much as we can with what's realistic in our lives. So yeah. we'll keep seeing y'all in the discord, uh, check out everyone here on the LUQ.com. Their cast bios are on the page. You can look at their link trees and get all the info they want to send you. Follow them on social media cause they all share fun stuff. But I suppose until next time we wish you luck. <laughs>